I'd invite you to get your Bibles out, turn with me to the Gospel of John, the first chapter, so John chapter 1. I kind of made, I kind of just made an executive decision. Um, don't be scared. <clears throat> I think that the, you'll notice on the front of your bulletin that the sermon title that I had put forth was, is there a God question mark with this particular text? And, and I want to get to that. And in my mind, I had thought that as we launch a new worship series that uh, we could jump right in at the first phrase, I believe in God the Father, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And I thought, well, maybe we could just get right after it and attack that first phrase and think about what that means. And the longer that I spent thinking about starting a series that will take us all the way to Easter, um, I, I thought it probably would be prudent for us to take a little longer look by virtue of introduction on the Apostles' Creed. What is it? Where did it come from? Why does it matter? Why is it deemed to have value and meaning in, in the Christian tradition? Um, I don't know if you grew up with the Apostles' Creed as a regular part of your worship. I, I don't remember it being a significant part of the worship of the churches that I grew up in, uh, but I think it could be, can be deeply meaningful. And, and oftentimes when I first was reading the Creed, I'd, I wasn't sure that I believed everything that I was saying out loud. Some of the phrases in there get my attention and cause me to scratch my head and wonder. And I don't think that you're probably much different than I am. And so I thought, well, maybe let's look at the creed as we start. And we'll see how far we get into answering the question, is there a God? Um, and, and so in my mind, we'll, we'll talk for a while this morning, see what we can get out. And then whatever we don't finish, we'll finish next week. Is that all right? Okay. So I have, I have been reading a bunch of material preparing for for this series, and one quote stood out amongst many others, theologian named Alistair McGrath. Uh, he does a lot of theological writing on the doctrines of the church. He said, um, this got my attention, you can't really explain Christianity unless you, uh, if you haven't thought about it much yourself. So you can't really explain to others what you believe People ask you, hey, what does it mean to be a Christian? You can't explain it real well if you haven't thought much about it yourself. Does that make sense? And I think that there are, I think our churches are filled with people who profess to be Christians, very well-meaning people, uh, but if you ask them a pointed question, they might scratch their head and say, you know what, I, I'm not sure. Or you, you, you may respond, well, I don't know if I'm qualified to answer. Or I don't know, I don't have enough information, you need to talk to so-and-so. And, and so there's some anxiety about sharing our faith with other people because we don't feel like we have elevated ourselves or spent enough time learning the basics, the foundational pieces of our faith. And so when 
somebody like me, or you get together in your core groups, and you start talking about witnessing to your friends and neighbors, your, your skin might just tingle a little bit, like, I don't know if I can do that. I don't think that I'm qualified. And I think that this series, my, my hope, my prayer is that this series will help us get at some of the very foundational pieces of our faith and provide a, um, a template for discussion or, or, you know, help you maybe understand, you might have been believing this for 50 years, and maybe you'll discover something that, that helps you answer some questions when you're out uh, ministering and witnessing to your friends. So I would ask you to stand. I, I want to read this text, and I'll probably read it uh, the same one again next week. Uh, it's one of my favorite passages in Scripture. It's John 1, uh, 1 through 5. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. Do you have a motto or a slogan that you live by? Maybe it's a favorite verse of the Bible. Maybe it's a piece of wisdom that's out there. How many of you are Facebook or social media users? Come on, raise your hand. You're my friends on Facebook, I know. So <laughs> <laughs> I know. Um, not everybody, but uh, the craze these days is to take a photograph of some sort and then you, you cut and paste or you, you print words over the top of the photograph and you call it a meme. And so these memes that people post on their Facebook pages or Instagram and so forth, oftentimes you can, if you piece enough of them together, you can kind of you figure out, well, I know what that person thinks is funny or I know what that person thinks is valuable, or I know what that person uh, thinks that they, maybe they ought to live this way, or, or maybe they think that other people shouldn't live this way. Memes tell you all sorts of stuff about the people who post them. Uh, they're sort of mottos or slogans, if you will. Um, I was thinking, what, what other slogans are out there or mottos? And, you know, the first one that comes to mind is the golden rule. You remember that, right? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you, or treat other people how you want them to treat you, right? You live by that one? That's a good one. You were taught that as a kid? Uh, I remember my graduating class. You know, we had to come up with a slogan, a motto that we would print in our yearbook and on the page of our graduation bulletin, and, and our class motto was, we build the ladder by which we climb. Yeah, I still remember that. Um, 
I don't think about it too much, but I remember what it was. I don't live by that necessarily. Um, there's a couple other famous ones. Winston Churchill, he said, we make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. That's a pretty good one. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr., the time is always right to do what is right. That's a good slogan. You could live under that banner. Uh, Dr. Seuss, why fit in when you were born to stand out? <laughs> I like that one. Uh, as, as simple as two words in the Lion King, Hakuna Matata. No worries. If mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. No, I don't live by that. <laughs> and we won't get into bumper sticker theology because that would take us the rest of today. But there's these words, <laughs> there's these words that we put out there, things that we say, these little quips, and uh, they, they are sort of like basic creeds that we live by or we think by. They're good words, some of them. Some of them, <laughs> not so much. Um, they help explain the philosophy of life. They guide and direct thinking, acting, and so forth. Th th there are some more uh, formal ones, if you will, like uh, the Pledge of Allegiance in our country. Um, next Sunday we're, is Scout Sunday, so all of the Boy Scouts and will be joining us with their families, and we want to welcome them, and th they have what's called a scout oath, and I'm going to have them stand up and tell you what their scout oath is next week, but because I don't have it memorized, I wrote it down. It's on my honor, I will do my best to do my duty to God and my country and to obey the scout law, to help other people at all times, to keep myself physically strong, mentally awake, and morally straight. So, scouts that are here, you have made the oath that you will stay mentally awake. That means through the entire sermon today as well, okay? <laughs> and next week. There's marriage vows, right? When we stand at the altar, we speak vows to our spouse. And when we, when we say the pledge, when we take these uh, wedding vows, we're not making the statement about what we think about our country or what we think about our marriage. Uh, what we are doing is we are, we are vowing to be loyal and to uphold certain values and convictions. I mean, we're putting it out there publicly. We speak it out loud. We're putting out there publicly that, that we will be faithful and our behavior will fall in line with the pledge that we've just taken. That's what we're doing these creedal kind of statements. And so when we, when we recite the Apostles' Creed, uh, yes, we are affirming things that we profess to believe in, and, and it goes beyond that, as we will discover, I think, in the course of this series, we pledge our actions. We pledge our living to follow our statements. So what we speak out loud, we intend to live out in our daily lives. Uh, the first word of the creed, when, when you look at the Latin text of the creed, the first word is credo. Uh, I believe. That's what that word means, which literally means 
to give your heart to it. So when you say in the creed, I believe, I give my heart to this, is what you're saying. Throughout the centuries, Christian people have used three significant texts to help guide uh, to help guide us in, in our spirituality, um, to help nurture an authentic and orthodox faith. And, and the three texts that have been very significant are uh, the Ten Commandments, or the Decalogue is what we would call it, uh, the Lord's Prayer, which is said to be the prayer of all prayers, the one that Jesus taught us. And we studied the Lord's Prayer a, a couple years ago in length uh, here. And, and the third text is the Apostles' Creed, um, which at its beginning, at its root, the Apostles' Creed was used to prepare baptismal candidates for a life of discipleship. The, the creed started to form in the very early years of Christianity. Uh, and it came into existence in a a world that was very a very risky place to be a follower of Jesus. The, the first Christians were seen to be a, uh, an extreme threat to the Roman Empire uh, because Christians were professing allegiance to somebody different than Caesar. As a follower of Christ, I see Jesus as my Lord, as my Savior. And if you were a citizen in the Roman Empire, you were expected to pledge your allegiance to uh, Lord as in Caesar. And so when Christians were uh, professing allegiance to another Lord, that was kind of a subversive thing to do. That was a threat to Caesar. And so early Christians were often arrested and interrogated and persecuted, and, and they were forced to give a statement under, uh, under threat. And, and it was what they were forced to do is to choose publicly. So they were given the option that they could deny loyalty to the Christian faith by making a pledge to Caesar, um, or they would give a confession of faith in Jesus, knowing full well that many, in many cases, they would lead to death. And the Greek word for witness, we've talked about this before, the Greek word for witness is martyria, to be a confessor, to be a witness. Uh, and, you, and you hear in that Greek word martyria, the word martyr. And so we have associated giving a confession of Jesus to to witnessing to him, to confessing his name, as to becoming a martyr. And the language of martyrdom has been connected with baptism ever since this time. And if you remember, when um, Jesus was in his ministry and he had a couple disciples, we know them as the sons of thunder, James and John, um, they approached Jesus. This is in the Gospel of Mark. They approached Jesus personally. And they asked Jesus for places of honor when he entered into his kingdom. And Jesus' response was, 
I don't know, you, you don't know what you're asking for, essentially is what Jesus said. I am preparing for a cup of suffering that you don't know what kind of baptism that I'm ab about to encounter. And I don't think that you're ready. You don't know what you're asking for. And so we've taken that language that, that Jesus says his baptism is a baptism uh, of suffering. And then Paul writes about it in Romans chapter 6. Um, and it's, it's language that we use um, around baptism. Uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 3. Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? where we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. And so from an early time, being a witness, being a confessor of Jesus has been associated by, by dying, by being baptized into Jesus' death and then raised to new lives. So, where did the creed come from? Most of the creed, if not all, all of the creed, comes from, from this book in various places. It, uh, it, it started as early verbal witness. Many of the phrases you can find almost word for word in the pages of, of the New Testament. Most people couldn't read at the time, and so these little short phrases uh, that people could remember uh, and affirm, uh, started, they, they started collecting those together so that people would have a common statement, a common witness. <coughs> Excuse me. And there, there's a legend, <laughs> I thought this was kind of funny, there's a legend that goes back, I think it goes back into the fourth century, that, and this legend lasted until, it lasted for a long time, maybe 800 years or so. The legend has it that after the Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came upon the church and empowered the disciples and, and the church, that the disciples got together around a table and they, have, they were having this conversation. Um, and each of them spoke out loud the thing that they thought was most important about all their teaching. And so you know, one of them would have said, oh, I believe in God the Father, maker of heaven and earth. And, then, and, and so there's, there's 12 main phrases in the Apostles' Creed. And so the legend has it that each of the apostles contributed uh, a phrase and then they put them in order and, and put it all together, and that's why we call it the Apostles' Creed. Well, that's a nice story. It's not true. <laughs> but it is true in that while it was not written specifically by the apostles, it did represent and reflect uh, the apostles' teaching trying to preserve what they had taught and what they had received from Jesus and passed along. 
And so as you look through the pages of Scripture, creeds and statements like this are common. I mean, starting all the way back in the Old Testament, you have uh, Deuteronomy uh, chapter 6, and, and it says, Listen or hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? And commit yourselves to these things wholeheartedly. That was an early creedal kind of a statement to the people of faith. And then you get into the, the New Testament and, and the text that we read just a few minutes ago, John 1, 1 through 5, is said to be an early hymn or song of the church where people would rehearse what they believed. They would speak it out loud as a public declaration, as a, as a witness. And then there's others, if you want to take note, in uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, we call it the Christ hymn. That's an early confessional statement, an early creed that the people would uh, memorize and, and speak out loud. In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 8, when, when Paul kind of documents the life of Jesus and, and what that means, and that he rose again from the dead and, and appeared to other people, that's a creedal kind of a statement. As these statements were spoken out loud, and uh, particularly in teaching and, and at baptism, um, they started to get written down. And so a, a guy named Hippolytus in the year 215 uh, wrote it down, and he wrote it down in a kind of a question and answer format. So in, in his version of the creed, it says, do you believe in God the Father? And people would respond, I believe. I give my heart to this. And then later in the 4th and 5th centuries, um, in the writings of uh, Augustine and Ambrose, we see a, a much more finished uh, product of the Apostles' Creed. So that's a nice little history lesson, right? Kind of developed over time, taking statements of faith, uh, confessional statements that the first Christians would, would speak out loud, remind each other about what they believed in. And we might say, well, what does it actually mean? What, what is the creed? I came up with, with four things that I think are important for us to remember about the creed. And you could say a creed is a confession. The Apostles' Creed is a rule of faith. The Apostles' Creed is a story. The Apostles' Creed is a way of life. If you think about a confession, confession is built on trust in something or someone that we have come to believe in. So confessing the creed is, is built on a trust of the God that is spoken of in the creed. It's not based on anything that I can prove, and at times, we may even um, be limited in our understanding, and we may have faulty understanding. We, our faith may waver and shake a little bit. Sometimes we're susceptible to our human feelings, or the experiences that we've gone through, and other influences around us. Uh, and, and so in some ways, we speak sometimes, um, we speak of things that we don't fully understand yet. But as the community of God, we've come together and we can 
help each other along the way. The, the creed is a statement of what we believe about our Christian faith and, and what we are vowing um, with our loyalty to, to uphold. And if you've ever thought about what does it mean when you say, I believe in something, that there's different levels of belief, um, different ways that you can use that terminology. In, in, in one respect, when we say, I believe, it is a, it's a signal that we believe something to be true. Um, or we believe that something has happened. Or we believe that something exists. It's kind of an intellectual way of saying, yeah, I, I'll go along with that. I believe that. Um, when we recite the creed's opening phrase, I believe in God, we are saying, now listen, listen really closely here. We are saying we believe not in the Bible, but in the one whom the Bible bears witness. The Bible isn't the object of our belief, but the God who is represented in the Bible is who we're saying we believe in. We believe not in a doctrinal statement, right? But the one to whom the doctrinal statement points. We believe not in the church, but in the one to whom the church proclaims. So our faith isn't found in these other things, it's found in the God whom it points to. And the God to whom it points to is the one that we read about in, in John. And you hear echoes of the passage we read. In the beginning, the word already existed. We hear echoes of Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created. And so, before anything, we believe that God existed. That that is the starting point for our Christian faith. That we believe everything and everyone starts within God. And we say that we believe in the God who reveals himself to us in Scripture. If you remember, remember a guy named Moses? Have you heard, that, have you heard about Moses? Yeah. Famous guy, nice beard, right? Good hair. God had called Moses to deliver his people from slavery in Egypt. And Moses, well, he was kind of wavering in his belief that it was a good idea. I think he knew that the people were suffering and they probably needed to get out, but Moses wasn't convinced that God had picked the right person to lead the people out. And so in his, uh, in his effort to make excuses and why he shouldn't be the person for the task, um, he, uh, he, remember he's in front of the burning bush, God told him to take his shoes off, it's holy ground, and Moses starts throwing objections, and one of them is um, found in Exodus chapter 3, if you want to note that, in verse 13, but Moses protested, if I go to the people of Israel and tell them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? 
Then what should I tell them? And God replied to Moses, I am who I am. That's the introduction of God's name of Yahweh. I am who I am. Or I will be who I will be. That's what you're supposed to tell them. Say this to the people of Israel. I'm Yahweh, the God of your ancestors. So God reveals himself in, in that way, and he's, saying, uh, he's essentially saying, I am who I am. I, I will not be hindered from being. I will do as I please. I will do as I will. I am. But then later on in, in the Exodus narrative, he, I mean, God gives Moses a little bit more description in Exodus chapter 34, if you want to flip over there, uh, God describes himself again. Exodus 34, verse 6, The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh, the Lord! Here's the description. The God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger. I am filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but I do not excuse the guilty. So you have there hanging in the balance the love and justice of God. We get a picture of uh, what God, God is describing part of his nature to Moses, but he's also describing part of his role. And this is the God that, that we're going to discuss and continue on this discussion because everybody doesn't believe in God. Everybody doesn't believe God exists. Everybody doesn't believe in this particular God. And so th- that's the conversation that I, w- I want to have with us in our core groups and, and, and next week is, is talking about this particular God. We see another kind of believing so we, we talked about belief as an intellectual exercise, like, yeah, I, I believe that's true. Um, but we see another kind of believing in the first phrase of the creed. It says, I believe in God. And it's taken from a, uh, a Greek phrase in the New Testament, which literally means, I am believing into God. Not just I believe in God, but I am believing into God, which to me suggests that there's action involved. It's more than just believing truths about God. It means that I am living in a relationship of trust and commitment with him. And and in this sense of using the word I believe, it comes closer to what we might use as the word faith, the Greek word pistuo. It's a verb. And so there's a difference between believing as noun, like I, I believe in that, uh, and verb, and, and I have faith in that. So if I were to get one of these chairs up here and, and set it down and stand over here, I could say, I believe in that chair. I think it exists. I will even say that I believe that it would hold my weight. And we could leave it at that, and I, I could never, ever sit in that chair, and, and we'd be fine saying, yeah, Dave believes in that chair. Now, The other kind of believing that we're talking about, having faith in that chair, faith as a verb, believing as a verb, would suggest that I believe it enough that I will come over here and I will sit down, I will put my full weight on this chair. 
a different kind of believing. I believe it, and so much so that I will act upon my belief. And that's the kind of belief that we get to in the first line of the creed. I believe in God the Father, Almighty Maker of heaven and earth. And I am willing not just to assent intellectually that I believe God exists, but I believe so much so that I will give my heart to that. I will live into that belief and put my faith and trust in God as the person who can help guide and direct my life. And then we talked a little bit about earlier, Pastor Trent mentioned the value of speaking the creed in unison together. And that's a huge thing with the people of God. And we fight against this in our culture that preaches to us that everything is private and individualized. And I gave you a statistic a couple weeks ago that there, I think it's 37 or 38 percent of Christians prefer to do discipleship on their own. In other words, disconnected and removed from a body of believers, disconnected and removed from uh, a, a smaller group that may be able to help, disconnected and removed from uh, sitting in front of somebody teaching them, I'd rather interact with the screen or read the Bible on my own or find, you know, 17 devotional books that I go through on a regular basis. People would rather do it on their own, which is not a biblical concept. And so reciting the creed uh, in unison, when we say, I believe, yes, it's a personal choice. I have to choose to believe that. But just because it's a personal choice doesn't mean that it has to be private and isolated. It's meant, it's meant to be read, recited. It's meant to be lived and acted out in unison. We confess it together because none of us can believe it all, all of the time. And I, I was telling our welcome class this morning, if it, if it were left up to me on my own to disconnect from the church, to disconnect from the body of Christ, I'd have a hard time getting through life as a faithful follower of Jesus because I would have zero accountability. So there's, there is power and strength and health in doing this thing together because we need a community to believe with us. I, I remember, you'll read it this week in one of the devotional readings inside uh, your core guide in Mark 9, father, demon-possessed kid comes to Jesus, can you heal my son? And Jesus says, do you believe that I can? And he says, I believe but help my unbelief. In other words, yes, I believe that you can do that, Lord, but <laughs> there may be a shaky faith. Together, we hold one another up in times when each of us may experience that doubt and question. 
Well, it's also a rule of faith. A creed is a rule of faith. It's a boundary marker. It kind of identifies us as Christian. It tells us who we are. Uh, it tells us who we are not. It helps us determine or recognize and avoid uh, inadequate or false or incomplete versions of Christianity. Um, the creed is not scripture. We've spoken that out loud, but the creed defends and protects scripture from unfaithful interpretation. Um, but it doesn't overpower. It doesn't overshadow scripture. The best way to understand the creed is to have the Bible open in your lap. Uh, in the creed, you find many of the doctrines of the Christian church. You, you see the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You see a statement on creation. You see a statement on the incarnation, Jesus um, giving up privilege in heaven and coming and, and being one of us. You see the work of the Holy Spirit. You see the picture of the church. You see the Holy Spirit uh, being poured out on the church and, and uh, you see the forgiveness of sins, and you see the Christian hope of resurrection and, and life everlasting. All of it's there in the template in, in the Apostles' Creed. And it's a story. The Creed is a, a story. The Bible's a story, and the Creed tells the story. For, for many centuries, people didn't know how to read, and so they memorized this creed as a helpful tool to, to remember the story and, and to speak it out loud, to impress that story on, on their hearts, that, that they could remember God's love and salvation and the way that God kept reaching out and trying to redeem and restore humanity. What the scripture says at length in in all of these 66 books, the, the creed says in, in miniature, it's a, like a bird's eye, 30,000 foot view of, of scripture and Christian faith. The creed helps us get our arms around the big story of God. I mean, you know what, it, it may be better to say it this way, that the creed helps the story of the endless love and the mighty acts of God get God's arms around us. If you notice, the creed is not made up of a bunch of rigid statements telling you how to live. It's a carefully arranged story of God and it's in chronological order because you have, you have God first and then God creates and then God sends Jesus who is born and suffers and dies and who is then raised to life again and then the Holy Spirit comes upon the church and its community life and it ends with the Christian hope of, of, of life. You see a snapshot of the gospel in the creed. The creed's story flows from God to us, not the other way around that human trouble is met with divine initiative. We know about God not because anything that we have done or any discovery on our own, but we know about God because he has chosen to reveal himself to us. And, and finally, the, the creed is it's a way of life. The verb, not noun, version of faith can't just be an idea in our heads or this warm, fuzzy feeling that we have in our hearts. It, 
it also has to make a real and measurable difference in our lives that will touch other lives as we seek to be ministers of the gospel and spreading the love of Jesus. The, the creed helps us build a bridge between uh, right thinking and, and right practice. So as we learn to live into the faith that we proclaim, it's important to remember, I, I want you to hear at the outset of the whole series, it's important to remember that the creed does not exclude doubt and questions. It's okay to scratch your head and wonder about the words that, you, that may be coming out of your mouth. But we affirm them together because it's been passed on to us in good faith from those that went before us, all the way back. It's a lifelong process of, of learning, learning how to, to be like Jesus, learning how to live like him, learning to care about what he cares. That takes a long time. I remember standing in front of the altar 23 years ago, and, and we spoke our I do's to one another. And we said in sickness and in health, right, for richer, for poorer, good times and bad times, we've had all of those, right? As a 20-year-old standing there, I didn't know exactly what it would look like 20 years later. But my vows committed me to a way of living. They didn't rule out that there would be good times and bad. They didn't rule out that there would be poorer times instead of richer. They didn't rule out the fact that, yes, there would be sickness and not always health. The creed doesn't rule out your questions and your doubts, and that's okay. You need to know that this is a place where you can explore those. And maybe this series will, and the people around you, and, and the ministry of this church can help you discover things that you've been inquisitive about for a long time. My prayer is that you will find and discover that the creed gives you a framework to ask those questions. And together, we can... Um, we can be motivated to go out and put into practice the words in which we are professing. We are vowing to live out and practice the things that the God of the creed cares about.